Good morning, it's TJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Well, the Utah Jazz win again. Of course they do. Houston's not very good. Got a couple of nice players, plenty of NBA teams to like to take off their hand. And maybe they got a couple of young guys behind that. And yeah, the Jazz are just much better. They were up by 20. The Jazz were up by 20 early in the second quarter. End of the first, first, last four minutes of the first quarter. First four minutes, second quarter. That was the ball game. Three-point lead went up to 20, and it was over. We'll get you the best of the Jazz postgame show coming up. We'll also get you a look ahead to Virginia and BYU. Mike Barber uh, covers the ACC and Virginia. You'll hear from him later this hour. But right now, Lincoln Kennedy talking NFL and Pac-12 on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Well, we want to talk to you about the Raiders because they're not just the Raiders now. Now they're the 5-2 and two Raiders Tied for the best record in the AFC after the Bengals crushed the Ravens. When you look at the Raiders, do you see a team that's got some things going well and got some things that need fixing, or do you see one of the, if not the elite team in the AFC? I would say yes to the first two questions. And the the third question, I wouldn't necessarily deem them elite. Um, They still have some things they have to fix. But, you know, here's the thing. Um, It it was proven last week when when the Raiders played the Eagles that Derek Carr's accuracy puts them over the top. And what I mean by that is there were several throws throughout that game where Derek Carr made him by just being an accurate quarterback. There's not a lot of quarterbacks in the league that can say the accuracy. accuracy. You, you talk about strong arm, you talk about discipline, you talk about great decision making, but accuracy is one of those intangibles that a lot of people tend to overlook because they just assume that it's there. Derek Carr's accuracy put this team over the top. Um, and so when you, when you team that with the fact that he's got a number of weapons, we, we were all of us were concerned that Darren Waller wasn't playing and wanted to see how the Raiders were going to react without one of their star players. But they may do by utilizing a lot of the other players uh, on that offense. And then the fact that they've got a defense that can create a rush, that can get to the quarterback, that can slow some teams down and make it hard for them to score. This is a good football team. I'm not ready to say they're an elite football team. I don't think they're up there with like teams like the Buffalo Bills uh, and stuff like that. But I think this is a good football team. I think this is a football team that's capable of making the playoffs, maybe winning a game or so in the playoffs. Um, but they still have a lot of work to do. Um, they still have a lot of things to overcome. Most notably, the, the Los Angeles Chargers who are in their division who share the tiebreaker right now. Yeah, they closed the season with them, so we still yeah. have about three months to go before we get to that point, or just under three months. Uh, you look at their schedule, and I got it in front of me, KC twice, and Cleveland yep. and Cincinnati should be tough. Yeah. Uh, but they got the Giants this week. Now, it's back there, so you're asking a team in the Pacific time zone to go back. Giants aren't good. They're, I think they're coming off a win, but yeah. what do you think about this game as far as, I don't know, is it a trap game or what? Because they all count. The true test for this Raiders team is to see that they can consistently beat the teams they should beat. Now, I say that tongue-in-cheek because a couple weeks ago when they lost to Chicago, um, you know that was a team they should have beaten. Um, they came out and they took care of business against the Eagles. Now they have a bye. They're riding high off of a two-game win streak, and they should take care of business against the Giants. But we already know no game is you know a, a given. Um, last year at this time when they went back east to face the Jets, they almost lost to a truly inferior team. So I think that's going to be the true gross measure if you will, of this Raiders team. If they can beat the teams they're supposed to beat, they'll put themselves in position to have some success towards the end of the year because there are games that are going to get you know systematically harder. But, you know, as you mentioned, the, the Chiefs, 
with their offense, even though the Chiefs are down defensively, with their offense, they're capable of scoring. Um, if, they, if they have a that game that goes right, and the Raiders have always had trouble with the Chiefs. Only they split the, the season last year. And then you talk about you know teams like Dallas. You still got to take on the Chargers again. Look, Indianapolis and Cleveland, for what they want, they're both inconsistent. But these are teams that still have the potential to make things harder for the Raiders. So the t- Raiders have got a long way to go at this little halfway point of the season where they got their bye. So I'm curious because it's just a two-game sample, but they got a new play caller, and that can change everything. Did it change everything, or is that just uh, a few details because it changes some things, but it doesn't change everything? It did It did open up some things. It did change some things. There's a philosophy that's been generated by a collaborative effort from Derek Carr and Greg Olson um, that wasn't there before. Everyone knew that when Gruden was in, in the position of the head coach and offensive coordinator that he was the alpha male and they were going to go their place. And there were times where even Derek tried to change him at the line or on the field, and he, got, he came under question by John Gruden. But now, for what it's worth, from what we've seen of the two-game two game sample size, um, is Derek's had complete autonomy when he's been out there. He's, he's been in, in control. And Greg Olson has allowed him because he's trusted his, his you know, thought process. It's worked out to the Raiders for the Raiders. Um, you still see a large sample size of a check with me system. And what I mean by that is when they go into the huddle these days, guys, quarterbacks are calling two plays. And it's a, it's a true track with me system. You're calling two plays, anticipating what the defense is going to do. And what Greg Olson has been able to create with Derek Carr over the last couple of games is a rhythm to the offense, a, a consistent rhythm that really has been present at times but has been inconsistent. That we'll see how the second half of the season goes for him because in the past, the past couple of years especially, Teams have gotten a drop on what the Raiders chose to do and how they chose to do it, and that's why they've been inconsistent, especially the second half of the season. But it's going to be a, it's going to be a real true test for this offense to see how they go moving forward because now teams have enough games under their belt to see what the Raiders like to do and what the Raiders do well, and we'll see how they try to take that away or negate that. The Gruden thing was a big story at the time. Now it seems yeah. like it was three months ago rather than just a couple of weeks ago. And the teams come out, obviously, it's one of these two games. And, and, and now they got their bye uh, this week, obviously, and, and then New York, KC, and all that stuff uh, for the second second part of the schedule. I'm wondering, do you think because of all this stuff, did they needed the bye to catch their breath? Or is like this? these are professionals and they got a job to do and it really doesn't matter all this other stuff because they're paid to win football games. So keep going. Where do you stand on that? I thought the best thing for the Raiders collectively as a team was to win the Denver game, um, especially after the Gruden stuff happened. Because you know, the, the timing of all of it when it came out was the Friday before the Chicago game. They played incredibly flat. They got beat down by an inferior team. And then they had to answer the questions, especially when Gruden resigned on Monday or Tuesday, whatever it is, following the game. Um, so the best thing for them to do was to come out and win. They, they kind of suppressed a lot of questions surrounding the Gruden situation. And then they followed that up with another win against the Eagles, really suppressed a lot of it, uh, the conversation. That's why it makes it seem like it's so far away or so long ago when it really isn't. Um, and Coach Passaccia rewarded the team by giving them the entire week off. He said, you know, after the Sunday's game of the Eagles, they had the entire this week off, this bye week off, saying they're going to report back on Monday, which is unheard of in my understanding because um, I think things are a lot different now but when I played they would never give us that much time off anyways um, 
it is what it is. But I, I think they needed that. And I think the reflection shows on the captains, the true leaders in that locker room, how maturely, how maturely they handle this stuff, and more importantly, how they passed it down to the team. And it transcended with a couple of wins. So you rewarded them. And now you come back after the bye, prepare for the Giants in the remainder of the season, and you've got a big task in front of you. But I think they'll be much more prepared uh, you know, to handle whether there's any lasting conversations or questions about Gruden, or, or are they just moving on? Lincoln Kennedy joining us, Raider, radio analyst. Uh, I think everyone's curious, you know, when you talk about elite teams, you mentioned the Raiders are not Buffalo. Is right. Cincinnati in that group after what they did to Baltimore? Is Baltimore still in that group after getting blown out by Cincinnati? Or are these just one game and... The AFC, what is the North? I think it is, yeah. um, was, was going to be competitive. We we knew it. We actually expected that Cleveland was going to be in the position that Cincinnati is now in. But Cincinnati has found their way. They found their rhythm, and they are a dangerous team. I still think Baltimore is one of those uh, teams potentially because they have both sides of the ball. We have a, a playmaker like Lamar Jackson. Even though the Raiders got him in Game One, they were down, especially with running backs and stuff like that. They were consistent. They found their way as well. So I think both of them are going to be a true test. The, the favorable for the Raiders part is that the, since they've already beaten Baltimore, if it comes down to a tie-breaking situation, then most likely you know, Baltimore, if, they, if the Raiders are able to win the division, Baltimore would end up having to come in, uh, back out to Legion rather than the Raiders going there. But Cincinnati, I, I do believe, is for real. I think they, they found a rhythm uh, in both their run and pass game as well as their defense. Joe Burrow is playing very well, and they're going to be a dangerous team. So the weekly question, Lincoln, that probably won't be answered until December, who's the best team in the Pac-12? It won't be answered to December. <laughs> I, I, I tried to prepare you guys the last time we talked that I thought that Oregon State was for real. And I still think that. I still think Oregon State's for real. Um, but, you know, what? The, the, the fact is is that with the Pac-12, there's such a competitive level that, that, that you, 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 you know, raises one eyebrow that it, it depends on the, the timing. It depends on the week. Who's going to take it? I still think Utah's up there. Um, you know, I'm not a big believer in Oregon as a whole, but they find a way to win. Um, so, you know, it's anyone's guess where we're going to go from here, but the competitive level of the Pac-12 is something that's fun to watch. It's something that's fun to analyze and try to predict is even harder than anything else because it's like, you, you like you said a moment ago, you just have to wait to December. I really don't know who's going to be playing in Allegiant Stadium on December 3rd. <laughs> so, we ex- I expect, and I think PK does too, that most of these Pac-12 games are going to have close point spreads. And you look yeah. this week, you know, two and a half, six and a half, one and a half, that all makes sense. If there's a big point spread, I expect Arizona and Colorado to be involved because they're not as good as the other 10. Right. Colorado can't score points, so Oregon's right. a 24-point favorite, fine. USC 21 over Arizona, fine. But ASU is a 16-point favor of Washington State. Obviously, you'd fans want Washington State to no, win no. that game. I don't think it's the game. It's a, it's the line on how many penalties they expect. Nope, that's not what it is. It's <laughs> not what it is. Could be. I get your point, but it's not what it is. Is ASU going to roll Wazoo? You fans want to know if you think they and you live in that state. So, do you think Washington State can go in and win that game? Because that's what you fans want. No, I think Washington State's going to put up a challenge. I think ASU's going to win, but it's not going to be by that wide of a margin. So I think Washington State's going to put up a challenge. 
Yeah, my thought is if the Devils commit as an alum, if they commit 10 penalties, yeah. I'm going to withdraw my $25 a year <laughs> donation to the alumni club. That's it. I've had it. I've had it, Lincoln. I'm done with it. If they well, get 10 is, penalties, is, forget it. Is, it's funny because you don't <laughs> typically see a Herm Edwards coach team that lack that much discipline. And it's been something that's perplexed a lot of people, including me, throughout this season. It's like, what? How do you? What? What is this? It's not something that's indicative of what we've seen in the past. So, yeah, I think it's going to be the ultimately the Sun Devils' Achilles' heel because they're going to get themselves in a big game like they have already had and commit so many penalties, they're not going to be able to win. See, I think it's some type of mask, and if we pulled back the mask, it would actually be Dennis Erickson coaching the team. <laughs> Wow, okay. <laughs> Never thought about that one, but yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> and Vontez Burfick committing personal oh fouls. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah, there it is. <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's going to be beautiful. <laughs> All right, uh, you got the Utes or UCLA. I'll let yeah. you go on this one. Utes, Utah or UCLA? I like you. I think Utah is going to find a way to pull it out. I think they're going to control the game, keep it away from UCLA's offense, and then find a way to win the game. I like Utes. All right. We appreciate it. LK, thanks for joining DJ and PK. Oh, I love you guys, man. I appreciate it. There is Lincoln Kennedy, Raider analyst, Pac 12 analyst. When we come back, the best of the Jazz post game show. Stay with us. It's game week for the Cougars. And the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. It ain't over till it's over. It's a game Cougar fans have circled for a long time as Bronco Mendenhall makes his return to Provo as the Cougars welcome in the Virginia Cavaliers. Listen all week for your chance to win tickets to the game and then catch the Cougar pregame show Saturday at 7 with the postgame show immediately following the game. From Monday morning to the postgame press conference, nobody brings you better coverage of Cougar football than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. The Utah Jazz take down the Houston Rockets, and they do it quite easily to improve to 4-0. Here's the best of the postgame show. It's your Jazz recap here on DJ and PK on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Jake Scott with you. The Jazz beat the Rockets last night 122-91. to They're now 4-0 on the season. Jazz had seven players in double figures, including four players in double figures coming in off the bench with Pascal, Whiteside, Clarkson, and Ingles. Let's get to you some postgame sound. Let's start things off with Jazz head coach. Coach Quinn Snyder. I thought our guards um, did, did a really good job containing. They've got some guys that are fast and can play off the dribble. You know, Porter and Green. And I thought out of the gate. Um, you know, we didn't let them get too deep or get angles and penetration. And they're going to get some shots because they're big. And they know how to get, you know, create their shot. But that was good. And I thought we, it's the best we've run and shared the ball. And it's, I think it's reflected in how many catch and shoot threes we had, too. How valuable is it, especially on the trip, when you're going to have your first back to back set this season to be able to get some rest for those guys, even if it comes a few days early? I think it's important, you know, and, and uh, even psychologically, too. Because it, you know, that they don't feel like they're – shouldn't feel tired. And I don't think we are. But sometimes that's mental as much as anything. And, you know, we had that one stretch 
where we thought I got a, we got a little lethargic. They wanted like a twelve two run, and I thought our bench came in. You know, Jared played defense. Eric gave us energy. You know, Son protected the rim. I thought those guys did a really good job. And they came back in and just raised our energy level. I want to ask you about Jordan. Um, why do you think he's been able to generally thrive in Utah? You know, is it sort of like the scheme, the personnel around him? Why do you think he's really coming home here? Um, it's probably a combination of a lot of things. I, I think, you know, he has a comfort level. Um, you know, we, we have a lot of confidence in him. I think that shows with the way he plays. He plays with a lot of confidence. Uh, he's someone that, you know, when he makes a mistake, he knows it. And I don't feel like there's, you know, every now and then when you're, you know, you're, you're coaching him, you're, you're teaching him more than anything. Um, but he's as aggressive as he is shooting the ball. You know, he's also been unselfish. You know, he has a good feel for when you can create like you can, you know, you don't, you don't want to, um, you want him to be attacking. That's what he does. But when he, when he does attack and people react to him, uh, and I, I think he's just, he's really bought into whether it's a walk up three or a catch and shoot three uh, coming off screens. You know, there's a lot of ways that he can get his shot off the ball. And I think that's what's made him more effective even on his drives because he's creating, um, he's creating situations where he's got, got an advantage whether someone's closing out on him and he's got a shot faking and he gets to the rim. I think he's also, you know, when you throw yourself into the defensive end, you know, your offense just kind of flows and he knows he's going to get opportunities. You know, his teammates believe in him. So it's kind of a long list there. I know I, I know, you know, you guys are familiar with how I feel about him and I think he knows I believe in him. So, you that uh, part of the stretch that you can reference in the third quarter. Obviously, you guys are up 36 when it starts, so not ever in any terrible danger, but what were you seeing kind of in that in that time period and, and what turned it around? First of all, you know, we want to finish quarters. You know, um, I think we held them 20-point quarters for three of those quarters, and then that – you know, that spurt, I thought that we didn't, we didn't defensive rebound. You know, I think they got a lot of stuff off the, off the defensive glass when they were crashing and we just lost some focus there. And then we're taking the ball out of the net. And, you know, I thought they, I thought they turned it up defensively. They got more physical with us and it took us a little bit to react to that. Um, and they came in with their bench. So kind of a combination of a lot of those things. I, I, I think our focus, you know, anytime you get a lead, you, you, you can probably let up, you know, at the end of possessions on the boards. And then you're, you're just not quite as precise. And that usually ends up in some mistakes or turnover, you know, a tougher shot. But again, those are... Those are things that we've talked about, you know, maintaining that mindset regardless of the, the score. Um, but, you know, realistically, that's that's something you got to fight. I like how we bounce back from it, frankly. There's Jazz head coach Quinn Snyder. The Jazz win 122-91 to over the Houston Rockets. Easy win for the Jazz going into a tough weekend. Let's now get some players sound for you. Start things off with Joe Ingles. I mean, we're an older team. Um, and been a lot of teams and... Um, uh, I think any time we get the chance 
to be able to rest guys at the end of a game. Um, I think coach will do it most times. <laughs> Sometimes he won't. Um, but that's obviously the feeling, some feelings he wants to leave us in and we will never know those reasons and we just go and play. And, and if he pulls it out, obviously he pulls it out. So obviously for tonight to be able to get a, a little bit of rest, um, if we can get out of here, someone said there's a tornado coming or something or some bad weather. So we, this is the last question and I'm going to go play. Um, yeah, and obviously get a bit of rest before um, Saturday, Friday, Saturday, Saturday. Saturday, Saturday. Saturday. Yeah, whatever, whenever the next one is. Uh, really the only blemish in the game is kind of that end of third quarter stretch where yeah. there was a little bit of bowl and energy. Just kind of what happened there and, and how did you guys get out of it? Are there any lessons learned from the early season stretch like that? Yeah, I mean, um, obviously they're they're a young team and regardless of the score, they're going to play hard every possession and coach has them doing that. Um, I I think some of those guys kind of came in and and some of them hadn't played in the game. I don't think there was a couple of the younger guys and um, they played really hard, (laughs) especially the the guys that kind of came in at the end and, um, at the end of the day, regardless of like, they're all NBA players. We're, we're playing against NBA players every game. And, um, if you let your guard down or, or kind of take a relaxing, um, thought process on, on what's going on, there's anyone in this league can, can score and or play well or get a stop. And, um, I think they picked it up a notch. Obviously we had some turnovers, a couple of missed shots. I think if we make a couple of those shots, it's probably, you probably don't ask that question, but um, we're able to still obviously hold the lead. But um, yeah, they turned it up a little bit, and I think we did a good job of just kind of settling back in. And then um, our young guys did a good job at the end of the game, just controlling the game for the last few minutes. Uh, Went to ask you about Jordan. Um, why do you think he's been able to thrive here in Utah and kind of find a home yeah. with your group, so to speak? Because I pass him the ball every time, yeah, right? and he shoots it every time. <laughs> no, I think. Um, I think he said, you guys probably know better, but um, I think he said something along the lines of like, just us letting him be him. Um, I don't know who he played for, what what was the cases before being with us, but I think um, him and coach have this like really weird, awesome connection and relationship. And um, what we do want him to be himself, obviously um, on court and off court. <laughs> He's got his own little, uh, his way that that he lives and we love it and embrace it. And uh, I think I was accepting him and and letting him be him. He just goes out there free. He, he, um, he he knows we want him to score. He knows what his role is off the bench for us. Um, We know as the rest of our team that when he's out there, we're we're trying to find him. It's like a a radar on my thing of trying to find these guys. And um, he's done a hell of a job of being efficient with it. Um, Majority of the time, he's probably had a couple of bad games, but you can't, you can count on like one hand the times that he really hasn't played to the level that he's capable of playing in this last couple of years. And um, yeah, hell of a teammate. Um, Yeah, he's fun fun to play with. What do you enjoy about him as a teammate? You said he's kind of an interesting oh, dude. I can't tell you all that. It's uh, no, we 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 get obviously get along really well, and um, yeah, just the the, the basketball talks, the families, the kids. Um, he's just a, a really good friend. Um, he's fun. There's never a dull moment when he's around. So um, yeah, good times. All right, our last question will come from Sam Farnsworth on. Hey, Joe, um, 
One wanted to ask you about uh, that three pointer when Eric put his hand up in your face after he got the <laughs> offensive rebound, kicked it back out. Just to, what was your initial thought? You see his hand go up. Uh, it's almost like he's playing no, defense. Even, right I didn't even see him. They were all asking me what I was doing, but I, I think JC shot it in the corner next to me, and whoever was defending him, I thought they took off to to run on offensive transition. So when he threw it to me, I thought for a second that someone was behind me um, and going to block the shot. So I quickly looked and then realized that there was nine guys in front of me. <laughs> um, but I didn't even – someone just said it. Then I didn't even know that Eric – he said he was putting up a three sign or whatever. Um, I didn't even see him. Um, I legitimately thought there was someone behind me. So I'm glad it went in because I would have been mad at him. <laughs> There you go. That's Joe Ingles. Of course, he was on uh, DJ and PK yesterday for the Joe Ingles show. It was great. Uh, get it in podcast form if you didn't have a chance to uh, to hear it. More player sound now. Let's get a lady here from Jordan Clarkson. Filipino heritage night, and how cool was that to kind of experience? I've had one before in Toronto, like me myself, and it was like a, a great turnout. You know, I've uh, made a lot of trips to Toronto. Uh, you know, early in my like year and career and stuff. Uh, you know, it's a lot of Filipino support there. Um, and shoot all all around the world. You know, they love basketball. Um, you know, just us two being here, I think I said it to, uh, you know, the Houston uh, sideline reporter. It's just, like, super inspirational and, like, uh, for the youth and, you know, every Filipino-American, every Filipino, anybody with Filipino blood. So I feel like it's just an amazing experience, something that, um, you know, never can be done again because, you know, we're the first. And, um, you know, hopefully see more uh, come through the league. Last one for Eric. I just want to ask you kind of that third quarter stretch where Rick used to go in the league. What went wrong for you guys? We just started making shots. You know, we had to just turn back our defensive mentality that we've been playing with uh, since the preseason, and that's really it. Um, you know, when we getting stops and we running, we kind of hard. Uh, not kind of, but I think we're really hard to beat. <laughs> There's Jordan Clarkson. Clarkson had 16 points coming in off the bench. Big night uh, for him. Let's wrap up the player sound with Boyan Bogdanovich. I mean, in this league, there's a bunch of great teams. They're they're a young team, pretty pretty talented, but uh, obviously that uh, that we're a better team. But you got to show that every every other night. I mean, with a great great mindset. We opened the game on, on the right way. We were sharing the ball, playing playing great defense, and at the end. The game looked pretty pretty easy, but uh, like I said, you gotta you gotta get out with the right energy and the right mindset to 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 be these kind of teams. I'm from a kind of nervousness in some way as as early as you can, just with a bigger first set of back to back games coming up for the weekend. Like I said, we played the right way. We didn't expect that we we're gonna beat beat them by by thirty, but but our, our second unit did a great job. End of the first first quarter, and beginning of the of the second, they put them kind of away, and and then we just kept the kept the advantage, and then at the end we had a, we had every single guy playing and, and contributed for the for the team. Are you surprised all by Eric no, I mean, we all know what he's capable of. I mean, great, great guy. He had a couple, couple easy, easy ones after the after the offensive offensive rebounds. I mean, just just great, great energy. 
Oh yeah, you got that. Had some solid success, of course. Quinn here, what do you enjoy about playing here? What do you think the team enjoys about playing here? I mean, he's just just great coach I and mean, a great mentor for for all of us. He's trying to talk to to each of us, give us give us confidence, and then just the way he's coaching team to to move the ball and play play for each other. I and mean, just just special. Obviously, it's just four games into a young season, but how are you feeling about helping your progressing about your game and, and your fit in, in the system so far? I mean, I'm just I'm just trying to, to get whatever whatever team or whatever opponent defense is giving me. I, I think the way that we are sharing the ball every other night is going to be is going to be a different player playing playing good good basketball. But like I said, it's all about it's all about the team in here. So no matter who's playing well or not, if we are getting them, we we all going to be happy. There's Boyan Bogdanovich. He led the Jazz in scoring last night with 19 points. Jazz win 122-91 to over the Houston Rockets. Next up for the Utah Jazz tomorrow night on the road, taking on the Chicago Bulls in Chicago. That game will tip off at 6 o'clock. Pre-game coverage begins at 5. There is the best of the post-game show. When we come back, Mike Barber covers the Virginia Cavaliers and will give us the lowdown on BYU and Virginia. Stay with us. It's game week for the Aggies, and the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. Huh! 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 It's back-to-back home games for Utah State as Blake Anderson and the Aggies square off against Hawaii in Maverick Stadium. Listen all week long for your chance to win tickets to the game and then catch all the play-by-play action beginning with the Aggie pregame show Saturday at noon. From Monday morning to all the play-by-play action, nobody brings you better coverage of Aggie football than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Time to welcome in Mike Barber, Virginia and ACC writer for the Richmond Times-Dispatch. He joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. Utah will be in a drought next summer. Smart Rain knows the 2022 budget planning for most businesses is coming soon. Take advantage of the Save Now, Pay Later promotion and do your part by saving water while saving money. Check out the Best State Award winner, Smart Rain, at smartrain.net. Mike, good morning. Good morning, DJ. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. So, PK and I have both been here and doing this long enough that we were here before Bronco was the defensive coordinator and before Bronco was the head coach. And now we're here for his return. And everything we know about Bronco says that he really doesn't like this week. Has he made it clear he doesn't like this week, or is he playing along with all the BYU questions? Oh, yeah. I mean, you guys remember, he made it clear when he took the UVA job yeah. that he didn't want to play this game. They got it pushed back. Um, he was not kidding. Like I think people took it as hyperbole when he said at the time, I hope they push this game back until I'm done coaching. He wasn't kidding. Uh, he, he knew there was a contract, and he was hoping that when he retired or left or whatever, that they could play the game then. Um, he, he's very uncomfortable with it. Um, he has a, a, a very genuine affinity for BYU that I think it goes beyond what most coaches have for their former programs. Right, because it's not just about yeah he knows some guys on the staff and yeah there's a couple players that that he was still involved in recruiting. Um, it's not that. It's it's the school. It's the place. Um, it's what it meant to him. It's how it it kind of fit with who he wants to be as a coach. Um, it, this is a very emotional week for him. His assistants. We were told flat out when we went out to practice Tuesday. Hey, they're not going to take questions about this. They're not going down that road. They they don't want to 
get caught up in memory lane. They're trying to focus on their job. This is a very emotionally charged week, I think, for the staff. Yeah, I might give you an idea how long we've been around. I used to, I spent 14 years at the Salt Lake Tribune, and I covered Kelly Papinga as a player. So we, we, we go we go back with these guys, and you know I've I've known an eye for many many years, and all that stuff. So from a distance, we watch. At least I do. I think we all do here. We watch Virginia. You know, we're not watching them every day like you are, but you know we keep track of them. And so far, the the thing that sticks out to my mind, obviously, is the incredible passing numbers, and then somehow Bronco has managed to have two opposing kickers miss field goals at the end. And I don't know. I don't know how he's done it, but uh, you know they've they've got this winning streak. They're six and two, but it seems like it's a little bit of a razor thin margin there between being six and two and being something else. Oh, no doubt, no doubt. And, and you know they uh, those two games that they won with their amazing field goal defense. And I'm <laughs> kidding. It was just <laughs> shanked by the opponent. But you know, two different styles of game. Miami they came out and played really really well. And then it felt like they kind of ran out of gas, and, and here was Miami coming back, and they held on for that one. Louisville, I mean, they got pretty well smoked in, in the third quarter there, and, and um, it looked like they were going to get blown out. And then they manufactured a, a fantastic comeback um, that would have been for naught if the field goal goes through for the opponent. So, um, yeah, you've had some, some wild ones. You've had some things about this team that are still questionable. Uh, they give up a ton of big plays defensively. Very un-Bronco, but that's a, that's a thing the last two years, really, that they've given up these 35-yard and longer uh, scoring plays, passing plays, running plays. It, it's coming all over. Um, it, it's a very interesting team. I believe they're very good, but they're not perfect. <laughs> and, and there are many areas they present as being beatable. So is there a common link with these big plays? They, they miss tackles, they're not athletic enough, and guys are running past them. Uh, can you draw a line and connect all these? They, they insist that it's missed assignments, and they keep saying, and, and I mean, maybe that's right, but it's not worth anything. They keep saying, like, hey, on the long touchdowns, 10 guys are in the right spot and one's in the wrong spot. And, you know, they keep repeating that the ball always finds you if you make a mistake. Um, and that's all well and good. I guess that means it's, it's easier to fix if it's so few, but they're still happening, right? They were happening just in droves going into the Duke game. Then they shut out Duke, and I think people were maybe a little quick to be like, okay, they fixed all their problems. Well, they were playing Duke. Duke's terrible. I mean, Duke's a rolling train wreck right now. So I think that was a little bit of fool's gold. And, and then we saw in this past game, Georgia Tech, even though they played better than the final score indicated, um, they won that game more decisively than, than 48-40 might tell you. But they gave up three long touchdowns in that game. So, um, yeah, you can say it's just a misassignment here or a misassignment there. Well, you better stop missing assignments or you're going to start losing football games. I read a piece that you had in the paper talking about you know just how good is this team, just how good is Armstrong, the quarterback. He's got the 3,200 passing yards. I think that's best in the country and all that stuff. But I believe you even, I know you did because I read it, you asked, you basically asked in the piece, you know, is it, is it, he, is he this good, or how much of a, is it a product of the schedule because they've beaten four 
uh, teams that have losing records and against teams that are 500 or better. They're 2-2. Two and two. And interestingly enough, I mean, they've got a tough stretch coming up with BYU, Notre Dame, and Pittsburgh, right? Notre Dame, or BYU got back in the rankings, so I know they got a buy in there too, but uh, they got three ranked opponents coming up. So basically the question being, all right, how good is this passing game? It's got incredible numbers, but against good competition, what do you think is going to happen? Yeah, and I wrote that because I think it's a very fair question. Now, having watched Armstrong very closely, I think he's the real deal. Um, you know, a year ago, he had the big arm. He had good accuracy on his deep ball. Um, but he was kind of a, a rookie to the offense. And you could tell he'd go for one or two progressions, and then he'd tuck the ball and run. And it's going to sound funny when you guys hear me say this, but he hurt his knee in the Illinois game. And he's had to kind of – take it down a notch in terms of how often he runs the football. And I think it's really helped him because, man, he gets through three, four, five progressions. He can go through his reads so quickly because he doesn't have in the back of his mind, okay, one, two, and go. He knows he doesn't want to take off running, and he has been making his way through those reads. He's just he's really mastered the offense. So I think this stretch, and I don't know how Virginia is going to do in this three-game stretch, but I think that Brennan Armstrong's passing numbers are still going to be remarkable. I think he's going to be able to throw for 300 yards a game against these better teams. Um, I think people are going to really realize that this passing attack is legitimate. Um, the defense we talked about, I think there are going to be some problems in this stretch because of that defense. But I think Brennan Armstrong is the real deal. I think it's fair to question it because of who they played. But I think he's going to... Um, I think he's going to prove himself here on this bigger stage the next three games. So are there receivers who are big-time problems as far as physical matchups? Are these guys mostly detailed route runners and they get themselves open and it's about the quarterback? What, what is driving this? No, there's a good mix there. It's a good question. And, you know, it's funny. I told somebody the other day, it, it feels like Virginia had seven or eight guys that you thought, man, one or two of these guys might be great this year. And so far, every one of them has been. And I don't know if they're overachieving or if they're achieving to their capability, but you look at Keaton Thompson, the transfer quarterback from Mississippi State. He has become just a, a really unstoppable weapon as a wide receiver, running back, uh, slash-type player. Um, he's great catching the football. He runs great routes. But, guys, the thing with him is he never goes down on first contact. I mean, he catches a pass, and he's dragging defenders, breaking tackles. Um, he's just been a phenomenal weapon. Their best receiver right now, Dontavian Wicks, he was a young guy with a lot of speed. He missed last year because of an injury, and their real number one receiver suffered a knee injury in the spring. They don't have him, and everyone said, okay, can Wicks fill in for Lavelle Davis Jr.? Well, Wicks has been outstanding as a big play guy, uh, take the top off the defense. Then you have Billy Kemp. Um, a tiny little slot receiver who runs great routes and who always seems to be open, uh, especially on third down. Uh, he's got good speed, too. Um, and then Jelani Woods, the, the really massive tight end transfer from Oklahoma State, um, he gives him a big target over the middle. Uh, if you cover him one-on-one, he's going to catch a ball, right? Brennan is accurate enough that he can put back shoulder or put the ball up high wherever he needs to, and Jelani Woods is going to come down with it. So, And those are four guys right there that could be the focal point of your passing game, uh, each one of them, and they've got all four right now playing at a high level. 
BYU has this running back, Algier, you know, 32 carries, 190 yards, I think it was last week against Washington State, with Virginia's ability to move up and down the field very quickly through the air. Do you think that uh, BYU would be maybe looking toward, toward, toward having a better ground game so they can eat up some clock and keep that offense off the field? And if so, how is the defense against the run for Virginia? Yeah, it's a good question, a good point. If it were me, that's what I would do. I would try to hold on to the football. Now, the problem is twofold. Virginia's run defense, when it's not making a mistake, has been very stout. Now, so they're hard to run on until they make a mistake. And I think what we've seen is some teams, I'm thinking about Wake Forest, that really were like, okay, we're going to hold the football and we're going to work our way up and down the field. And a few times, plays just popped, and they scored maybe quicker than they wanted to. Um, obviously, you're not going to give back the seven points. Um, it is going to be the interesting matchup in this game. I think if you're BYU, you want to try to do the Wake Forest game plan. Uh, you want to throw some underneath passes. You want to run the football effectively. Um, you want to keep your offense on the field, keep your defense fresh. And then I think when Armstrong's out there in that offense, you know what teams have been doing, guys, is – They've been mixing up their defenses a lot more than their identity. Uh, Robert and I said this to me the other day um, about Georgia Tech. Because Virginia's been so prolific throwing the football, teams are abandoning their tendencies and what they want to do, and they're just trying to mix things up to confuse Brennan Armstrong, uh, to confuse Robert and I, to to make it a different look than what they've prepared for. And uh, that's a double-edged sword because, on the one hand, if it works, great, you confuse the other team. On the other hand, it means you're getting away from your bread and butter and what you're comfortable doing. Um, It hasn't worked out great for teams, but that is what we've seen. We've seen teams kind of abandon their identity to try to throw a curveball to this Virginia offense. So there's a a weird thing here that over the last couple of years, uh, BYU has played a lot of, well, maybe even more than that, but they've played a lot of drop eight, rush three. And for whatever reason, it gets under the fan base's skin. I don't completely understand it. It's worked. They've won a lot of games. They've beaten USC and Tennessee and gone 11-1 and and blown out Boise State and all kinds of stuff. But nonetheless, people complain about it a lot. But I'm curious if there's any point in going after Armstrong, because if you're throwing for 400 yards, I'm thinking people haven't been able to pressure him between protection and quick throws. Going after him probably isn't the percentage play, is it? I agree. And, and, and the thing that fans are looking at is it's a lot sexier on third and seven if you sack the opposing quarterback than you just force an incompletion or a throwaway. But if you're a football coach, you don't care, right? You want, you want the stop. You want that third down conversion stopped. Um, so I get it. You know, fans love the blitz. It's exotic. Get after guy, get him on the ground. And certainly disrupting Brendan Armstrong is the way to go. But I think you're right. That, you know, the thing with the, the blitz is it's a little feaster famine. And Armstrong has been so good, and he's got so many good receivers, that if you come after him and you don't get him, that's going to be a big play. So to me, the smart play is, yeah, you might rush four or five occasionally, but for the most part, you want to drop guys in coverage. You want to change up uh, what you're doing, where the help is, um, and, and you just want to make it hard for him to throw the ball downfield. You want to keep everything in front of you, right? It sounds like the boring prevent defense you play at the end of a game. 
But really, that's what you want to do. You want to make them earn it up and down the field. And uh, I think they're capable. But this hasn't been a great run game. Uh, when they run the ball, they do it with Brandon Armstrong, who's getting healthier. They do it with Keaton Thompson on, on jet sweeps and direct snaps. They haven't been a great traditional running back run game team. Um, that's the way, to me, that I would approach defending them. Last several years, the ACC, we think it's Clemson, right? And they've been the big dog, and deservedly so. Well, they're not this year. But the conference has the one undefeated team at 7-0, and zero, Wake Forest. But yet they're only ranked, what, 13th? And you look at their schedule, and I don't think they have a ranked team that they've played, nor, right now anyway, uh, the rest of the way, there's a ranked team because I think Carolina's been a disappointment and Clemson obviously isn't up to snuff the way they usually be. So going big picture as far as a potential playoff and an undefeated Wake Forest team, if that should happen, how do you think they fit in the mix? Yeah, I, I don't think they do. Um, and I think Wake Forest has done a really great job building up their program. Uh, Dave Clawson kind of got his start. He was a, a 1AA coach at Richmond, so we all know uh, Dave Clawson real well. He's an excellent coach. They, they've built up their program. They've beaten the teams on their schedule. But, yeah, you look at that schedule, and, and who do they end with? I think it's Duke, Carolina, NC State, at Clemson, at BC. I think they could very well go undefeated. I don't think they're going to make the college football playoffs, and um, that's rough. I guess the exception being if Pittsburgh really keeps it together and, and, and runs the table from here. So if it's a one-loss Pittsburgh against an undefeated Wake Forest and Wake Forest beats them convincingly in the ACC title game um, and other things happen in their favor, uh, but it's a down year in the ACC. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And it isn't just about Clemson slipping. It's about nobody else being ready to pick up that place, right? You know, so Clemson's down this year. Is there another team that's stepping up and, and really wowing you? And you, know, you could say Wake Forest, and, and maybe if Wake Forest knew <laughs> what was coming, they would have had a better non-conference schedule. But um, I'm trying to remember, Old Dominion, Norfolk, obviously they just played uh, Army. Um, and I'm trying to think of who, oh, that, and their North Carolina game this year is actually a non-conference game. Oh, that's game, right, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Because they couldn't. Yeah, they couldn't fill out their schedule. So maybe if they knew, hey, they were going to be 7-0, and that they would try to drop in a, a better Power 5 opponent somewhere in there. But um, it's going to be hard for the ACC. They're going to need a lot of help from the, the Big Ten and the SEC kind of eating their own here down the stretch. So Virginia does come west more than I thought, but they don't usually win uh, they might have a win at Boise State, maybe. They've got the one at BYU 20-plus years ago. But, man, they've gone to Wyoming and lost, to TCU and, and Oregon and SC. Are they doing anything special or unusual for this or addressing this? Or it's a football game and it's 8-15 and we're going to show up and be there and put hat on hat? <laughs> well, certainly that's the answers we get. The reality, though, guys, is a lot of those losses out west Virginia stunk. They were a bad football team. <laughs> I think it, it, I know that's sort of simplifying it. Yeah. Um, but those were some bad Virginia teams that went out and lost to Oregon and UCLA and all those games. This is a, a pretty good Virginia team. So I think if you're this Virginia team and Bronco, because he hasn't been uh, out west or certainly back to BYU, um, I, I think you just look at it and say, hey, we're a good football team. We can win anywhere. Now there's questions, and the guys have been asked this week about the altitude. Is the altitude going to be an issue? The late kickoff, 
because it's 10-15 here. Is that going to be an issue? And, and they say the right things, but the reality is we don't know. Um, they may get out there and find the first quarter they have trouble with the altitude. They may find in the fourth quarter that it catches up with them. Uh, they may find that with a late start, they get off to a sloppy beginning. I think we're going to know a lot in the first few drives. Is Ken Virginia, they don't have to play great in the first few drives, but they have to make sure they're not down 14 nothing. Right, get your legs under you, get used to where you are, understand, hey, you're in a real game because it's a step up in, I think, the competition level. Uh, I think the end of the first quarter, we're going to know a lot of the answers to these questions we've been talking about. Um, and at that point, though, you're in the fire. Before we let you go, Mike, I have just been told that you're a brother. You got some Jersey blood in you. I'm a Jersey native, my friend. It is so good to talk to you. Where, where are you from? Morris County, brother. Yeah, so I, I'm from up north in Bergen County, and I went to Rutgers. I started my career at Star Ledger in Newark. Oh. Uh, so yeah, Jersey boy through and through. And yeah. I moved down to Virginia and down to Virginia in 2002 and um, still miss it and still try to keep up with Rutgers, but they don't really give me a whole lot to cheer for. There's nothing like tailored ham in the morning. Is that true? There you go. Taylor ham, egg, and cheese with salt, pepper, and ketchup. <laughs> I'm from San Diego, and I don't know what you people are talking about, but I don't think I want to eat that. Well, you guys are going to have to take a road trip there, maybe BYU-Rutgers at some point. Oh, that'd we'll be awesome. Some, uh, oh, sure, yeah. Born yeah. and raised in Jersey myself, born in uh, Orange, and then moved up to Persephone. Uh, yeah, man, I, I, I just I knew, I knew I could tell – the, the way you were talking, you had to have some East Coast blood. And then I find out, not, not just East Coast, but it's actually the hub of the East Coast, Jersey. Man, right there. It is so like good. We, to, like we like to claim. Yeah. Like we like to claim the, the center of the East Coast. People think it's New York. It's really Jersey. Of course it's Jersey, man. man. It's Frank Sinatra. It's John Bon Jovi. It's Bruce Springsteen. Queen Latifah. Dana Owens. You name it, brother. Hey, all, all you need to know is that New York City has two pro football teams, yeah. and they both play in New Jersey. Of course. Of course they do. And Zach Wilson's going to go on to stardom. A Draper Utah kid in Jersey. Well, Mike, you were a really good guest until right at the end. But yeah, yeah, I think it slipped. I think your game slipped there at the end, Mike. You had some, you had some good info, but then you got. Yeah, you were, you were, you had some good info, and then you got lost in a Jersey no, swamp no, there at the end. No, man, he he was born again in the Jersey swamps in the Jersey Shore. You name it, man, Jersey boys. We're Jersey boys. Shut up. I love it. Next time I come on, you'll have to play some Springsteen as my intro. There's Mike Barber talking BYU and Virginia. What is trending? All the headlines next.